All righty. I think we are rolling. But uh, yeah, excited to uh, sit down and knock out the first podcast. Um, starting with low expectations, just because this is my uh, my first one. But uh, but yeah, happy to have uh, my dad on, Bill Brunker. Um, one of the main reasons uh, is because you are the best tech guy I know. And so with this being the first podcast, it is extremely helpful to have you help me set this up and, and get this all rolling. But I can promise the listeners we will only get better from here. Um, but yeah, just excited. I guess the reason why I'm kind of wanting to start this, and I guess we'll see how... I enjoy it, but uh, I just I think there's a need for for long form content. I mean, I think we live in a very fast paced world. Nobody's arguing with that, and and where we kind of consume content uh, very quickly, and and it's efficient, but uh, but however, it's it's a little bit hard to get to the bottom of it. And I I, I want to kind of make an excuse for me to sit down with other athletes, um, other people I know, coaches, trainers, whatever it may be. Doesn't even really have to be sports related, but I know. Um, you know, being a basketball trainer, that's kind of probably where my audience is. But, uh, but yeah, just to sit down um, with the phones away and, and get to know everybody's story, because I know everybody's got a little bit different story. And I, I think, you know, hopefully the, the listeners can relate a little bit. So, so that's why I'm here. That's why I'm starting it. And we'll, we'll let it fly from there. But how's, uh, how's everything going with your Sunday afternoon today? Sunday afternoon's going fine. Cool, cool, cool. Well, happy to have you on, and and yeah, like I said, you uh, you were instrumental in in setting this up. I did not think a two microphone audio podcast would be that tough to set up, but yeah, after after days of guess and check, I think we are rolling now. So appreciate that. Was it harder than uh, than you thought as well? Uh, lots of settings. We <laughs> we finally got it right at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, we we've got uh, essentially a two person team going then, so so no complaints there. But but yeah, just kind of wanted to to get into your upbringing, and and I mean some of this I know, and a lot of this will probably be new for me, which is cool. But but uh, I know you know you were once a, a athlete, and you were once a coach and, and teacher, and kind of wanted to just get into get into all that. So one of one of the first questions I had was, I mean, I think youth sports these days are just going absolutely crazy. Um, you know where where you know players are starting to play in like you know, age three, like, you know, Bennett, he's, his, you know, training, they've got three-year-olds starting, you know, these train and plays type things, you know, when did you start, you know, getting into organized sports? What did that look like when you were a kid? I, uh, I'm just genuinely curious. I think the first organized sport that I ever played was baseball at age eight. We had, uh, four teams in the little city that I grew up, uh, the Cubs, the Braves, the Twins, and the Tigers, and uh, that was the first time anybody, any, I ever had a legitimate coach that coached the team, and my dad was one of them, um, but as far as organized basketball or organized baseball, that was really the first opportunity. Nice. Huh. Was it was it Little League, or was it through school, or what was that? It was just a, I guess we called it Little League, but it wasn't, I'd officially tied to little league it was just the the city itself created its own individual league but we we never played as as the what the little league is that we know it today sure like under the little league name yeah huh how uh you said there's four teams so there's four teams gotcha yeah i mean so you're i mean i know i know your background you, being from colby wisconsin how many 
you know how many kids <laughs> you know was it was it your typical you know nine player baseball league or I, I feel like it had to be the surrounding areas as well if they're fielding four teams uh know. nope it was it was all colby oh, every wow. everybody was from colby i think it was eight through 12 so we probably had had five different ages that were in there and i know at eight years old facing a 12 year old was extremely difficult <laughs> if, not, if not scary but uh yeah that was it was just the city nice no i mean that's similar to you know what i played in appleton and Definitely remember facing some twelve-year-old studs that when I was. Although we started when we were nine or ten, I think it was ten through twelve, or maybe nine through twelve, not eight through twelve. Yeah, we, uh, we were eight through twelve. That's a pretty big skill gap if you're an incoming. It certainly was eight-year-old, but but yeah. Do you remember how? Uh, you know, what are your first experiences? Were you were you solid? Was was it a little bit of a learning curve? Um, eight years old. I I think everyone that I ever played with and and in that period of time that was eight years old with me probably eight through eleven remember a guy named Randy Razakowski, <laughs> um, tall kid at twelve years old threw extremely hard was very wild and most kids got in the box and by the time the pitch crossed the plate they were a third <laughs> of the way to the dugout. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember players just like that from from our day. Yeah, that's fun. that's funny. That I feel like it's it almost adds to it when when you and your friends start talking about it like after the game, then it it builds up that anxiety almost for next game or next time you face him. Because, but uh, but yeah, throwing hard and inaccurate is a tough uh, tough yeah. tough combo to face. He probably threw seven no hitters, but would have a ERA of four. <laughs> that sounds like little league though. That's funny. That's funny. That's funny. But yeah, you said your your dad coached. So yeah, it was all parents at the time. Uh, there were three parents that coached us. I think for all four years that I was in it. Wow. Huh. Very cool. Well, that's yeah. That's interesting. That's that's cool to hear that it was. I guess similar to what similar to what we had. But but cool. What about so you played basketball growing up a little bit too, right? Or when was that organized or was that unorganized or how did that? Work? I I never had an organized basketball league until I was a freshman in high school. Wow. Oh, no, I take that back. I take that back. At St. Mary's, we had uh, a volunteer coach that was a great guy named Jim Fernstall. Uh, coached us in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. He would come in after he went to work, and uh, our wooden backboard uh, Catholic school gym, and he would probably get us six or seven games a year and maybe one tournament that we played in but um it was organized that he did a fantastic job for he was probably in his mid-20s and but yeah maybe even younger than that but he was awesome nice so just kind of setting up like a little unorganized league just so you guys could get something going before high school or I, how old did you say you were when that happened uh sixth seventh and eighth okay, grade school, yeah. yeah yeah it was just one team six through eight who did you play um, anybody he could find to play <laughs> us. Uh, I think he just got on the phone and called schools and and got us a few games. Right. Gotcha. Huh, that's interesting. Um, But yeah, obviously my aunts, your sisters, did they play any sports growing up? I'm trying to think. I had one sister that was a swimmer. All the rest, uh, no. They were, you know, yearbook club and band and all of those kinds of things. So they were active, but not in what we would call sports, I sure. guess. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, when there's 
less leagues available. That might be even more common back then too. But cool, 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 cool. So yeah, fast forward to high school. You you also swam though, right? Too in high school. So I played basketball my freshman year. Um, didn't start. Was probably uh, about the you know number nine or ten or eleven guy off the bench. But as a freshman, Got though, yeah, yeah, and and I was five four. As a freshman, so Same here. you can <laughs> kind of feel that. And I wasn't quick, though. That was a slow 5'4 freshman. Uh, didn't play a lot. Uh, grew quite a bit in between my freshman and sophomore year and didn't know if I wanted to play basketball. And I always swam all, you know, since I was little. So I went out for the swim team. And uh, little Colby High School had a swim team uh, that competed against all Division One schools. So we didn't win a lot, but the individual accomplishments were always good. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, with a school your size competing against giant, giant schools is probably wild. Where uh, where did you swim growing up? Like, they didn't have swim leagues. That was probably unorganized, too. But do you just swim at, like, the local pool? Or? Our high school had a had an indoor pool, which was pretty unique at the time. I, I, I don't know the, all the logistics of why they had it, but, yeah, I... I swam and started lifeguarding at whatever age they would allow me, 14, 15 years old. I was a lifeguard there. and huh. uh, That's cool. Swam all the time. That's interesting. Huh. I didn't know that. That's funny. Was it, was that technically like your first job, a little, little lifeguard? Oh, definitely my yeah. first job. Yeah. That, I mean, technically me too, but I was just scared to get my uh, certification, so they just stuck me on the slide. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me, growing up going to Mead Pool, I feel like there was a save every other day. So being a lifeguard there, I just felt like it was way too res- much responsibility <laughs> at 14 that I was just like, I'm not getting my certification. I'm just going to just uh, tell people when they can and can't go down the slide. But that's funny. Wild. I, rem- I remember uh, one one lifeguard would have to take the money as they come in, and it was the day and age of the Susan B. Anthony dollar. And that's how we made our tips. These kids would come in to go swimming, and instead of giving you a quarter, which that's what it costs to swim, they'd give you a Susan B. Anthony dollar, and we'd pocket the other 75 cents. <laughs> you didn't make change? Uh, well, sometimes you didn't know it until you went through the money. Right. Like, oh, there's a dollar, there's a dollar. That's funny. Not uh, no Venmo back in that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's crazy. So did you grow up... I guess I'm I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. Did you grow up watching, you know, like were you watching the Brewers growing up when you were playing baseball? Were you watching the Bucks? Were you, what, what were you kind of watching to get you into these sports? I, well, the Brewers, you know, they weren't, they weren't televised. So if you, I remember riding with my dad on AM radio, we'd listen to Brewer games, but uh, the Cubs played and my dad was a Cubs fan because he lived through the era where, Milwaukee didn't have a team for a period of time. And uh, the Cubs were on TV and the Cubs were, you know, kind of the local team everybody followed when the Brewers, when the Braves weren't around. Um, Yeah, they were the Braves then too. Yeah, that's right. 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 And then uh, my dad was a huge Bucks fan and, and he had a radio next to his chair and listened to almost every single Bucks game. And you know, that's when you become a huge fan of Eddie Doucette when you listen to radio and this guy has you just glued to the radio because he's such a such a dynamic announcer. Right. 
That's awesome. I, I I feel like I've heard recordings back of of Doucette, but I should I, I need to relook into that. But who are who are the good who are the studs then? I'm trying to think about arrow wise. Well, we had uh, Jabbar, who was Lou Alcindor at the time, and right. had Oscar, Oscar Robertson, yeah. Bobby Dandridge, uh, Johnny McLaughlin, Brian Winter. So those are good teams when you were growing up. Yeah, those were the. Yes, they were very good. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the playoffs which was probably the last time they won it until, what, four years ago? Five years ago? Finals, when they won? yeah. Finals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's crazy. It's crazy to think about. But when, so so were the Bucks not televised then, or you or it was just more popular to listen on the radio then? Uh, no, nothing was televised. I mean, there was no such thing as ESPN. We had three local stations. Sure. So if know. it wasn't, yeah, if it wasn't on there, it's not on anything. That's crazy. And now it's wild. I mean, you think about like NBA league pass, you can get any, any game, any time. And that's, it's wild to, to think about the difference there, but, but cool. So you, so here's what I'm confused about going back to kind of your, your playing days. So you played little league baseball, continue playing after that. We, you know, not really officially, uh, we had summer rec programs that had a baseball component to it. But, I mean, the person who was our summer rec was also our coach. So the person could have been a, a tennis guy. We played tennis in our summer rec programs, and uh, he'd try to get a couple of baseball games or we'd, you know, get 20 guys together and go to the baseball diamond and right. play. But So, yeah, from age 13 on, uh as far as organized baseball, it was really nothing. And our high school team didn't exist. We didn't, right. we didn't have a baseball field. No, I remember you saying that. That's why I was asking that. Cause it was, a, it was, I didn't expect baseball to be the f- kind of the first sport you played when I remember asking you and you saying you didn't even play in high school. So you just didn't have a team, didn't have a field. There was no, yeah, was no didn't, options. Didn't have a chance. Played a few games in the summer. We played against some Legion teams, just threw a team together and we had some, you know, very, very good uh, baseball players, but that was in the era where fast-pitch softball was kind of going out and slow-pitch softball was on the rise. So the only league they had in Colby was slow-pitch softball, and we were uh, probably sophomores or juniors in high school. Uh, We asked the league if we could get a team, and we did. We put a, a team together, and uh, there was a, a place called Packaging Corporation, big box manufacturer in Colby. <laughs> nice. They sponsored us. You know, Tim Reinhardt, yeah. it, was, it was Tim's dad. Oh, wow. He sponsored us, and uh, we would win some tournaments and things, and we would, we would make money but couldn't accept money. Um, so he, we gave all the money to Tim's dad, and, I mean, they put it in the packaging and bought us uniforms and did whatever. And Might have paid for the sponsorship right yeah, there. We were, we were extremely competitive, and we were 14, 15 years old playing awesome. against adults. Right. Wow. Did that pose any issues? I mean, I've just judging by the, the softball, I feel like beer league softball is, is a common thing, and maybe being 14 years old uh, in that league, did, did it pose any issues, or you remember any like situations that were kind of weird? Um, you know, probably the best thing was, is we were too young to drink. That might've been, been part of our probably success, why you're playing people. <laughs> part of our success, but, That's uh, you know, not really. Uh, it was such a small town that 
you knew everybody and you'd play them at night and see them on the street the next day. So it wasn't. And they probably like they probably thought it was pretty cool having a younger team too, or at least you know maybe applauded you guys for competing. I guess. Yeah, some did. I, I, some maybe didn't wish you. Were, I, yeah. I I think we probably believe because it was our. I think we were probably more competitive than most of them. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, we we were, we were maybe not as liked as everyone else. Sure. They liked you till you beat them. That's how it goes, there, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly right. That's funny. But cool. No, that was that's all new stuff. That's that's interesting. I I learned a lot there myself. But uh, but cool. Uh, I want to transition like more to coaching. I mean, I I, I think you know it's weird because I went through that transition from you know being a player to a coach and I think coaching is like kind of the second most rewarding or like the most rewarding thing you can you know do as as close to playing um but but I think it's interesting where you coached baseball a sport that you know you didn't play in high school which which is interesting talk talk to me about how you kind of filled that gap or how you how you went about doing that when I had my first teaching job. Uh, they had a JV softball position open, and uh, or excuse me, JV baseball position open, and uh, zero applicants. And I said, you know, I'd love to do it. This is it was my first year of teaching, and it, because it's a spring sport, at least I'd have six or seven months of teaching under my belt before I got out there and you know dedicated the time to do it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, as far as a learning curve. Playing and coaching are miles apart in right. in you know the the game itself, but uh, at year one, two, three, four, I would say as far as a coach, I was I was bad. I sure kids love to play the game and work under me, but uh, I I wouldn't say that I was a great coach. I didn't know how to coach. And probably just watching other good coaches coach is where I learned most of the things, you know. And it's not always winning or losing, but good coaches didn't always win because sometimes uh, the reason you lose is because the other team's a lot better than you. Right. Um, But, you know, after I got a few years under my belt and learned what worked and learned what didn't work and learned how to coach, then... I think the game became more fun. For sure. For me. Yeah. And probably for players too. Right. Well, I feel like the better you do, the better you are at something, I feel like the more fun it gets for sure. But no, that's, yeah, that's interesting. That That's that's cool. I didn't know that, I didn't know that you, I, I, I do remember you starting at the JV level. I guess I didn't even think about that. But that's funny that there were, I guess you didn't have to beat uh, too many people out if there's no no applicants. But Correct. But yeah, yeah I mean, with anything, the more you do it, I'm sure the, the more comfortable you get at it. And I'm sure you were personable enough which is is half the coaching battle is just can you communicate and you know be accountable for the the people underneath you so that's that's awesome in college so we kind of talked about high school um and kind of growing up and then we talked about teaching so i know you went to stout did you do any like playing or coaching or was there intramurals or anything like that in there that you know you felt kind of led you to that or not really um yeah i played intramural everything um I I didn't go to college right away. I went to tech school first. And then when I went to Stout, you know, I had three years of softball training under me, which slow pitch softball and baseball, um, a good slow pitch player isn't a good baseball player. But right. I did have a, 
a little meeting with the baseball coach and he asked me for my statistics and stuff and <laughs> I didn't have any. And Didn't have any game film yeah, from the slow pitch leagues? <laughs> guess how that went. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, baseball wasn't in my college future. I knew that. Had some, you know, I had, actually the guy lives in Appleton now, a good friend Jim Miller played shortstop for the team and I used to go down and throw him BP and stuff and uh, he'd say, you should try out. And I said, well, I don't think I have a chance. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that is tough. And I mean, I feel like there's, even in today's day, it's easier when you're, you can ha- kind of be like a undercover guy just because, but it's because of like the technology we have now where it's like, oh, maybe they have game film from a league they were in, or maybe they have, you know what I mean? If I can't imagine not having that and just having to like prove to somebody or try to talk somebody into it, but if you don't play in high school, it's probably a little bit tougher to play in college for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. But that's cool you were throwing BP. You've, you've, you've gotten your uh, BP reps in, in terms of throwing, that's for sure. I've thrown enough pitches that I have. <laughs> um, but no, that, that's cool. So yeah, talk, talk a little bit about, more about coaching. Um, I know you, you said you, you learned a lot from just good coaches. I mean, I think that's what all good coaches do in terms of like looking for mentors, looking for good examples. Who, who were some of those people? Was it, you know, people you were close with or was it more, you know, like pro pro coaches or or what did that look like? Um, the guy coached under his name was Clint Peters and he wasn't a great fundamental baseball coach. And I think that's what I, why I focused on it. But Clint was, probably the best motivator that I've ever been around. Uh, He could take a mediocre player and not teach him any baseball, but they would work their tails off and he got the best and, and more than what some kids should have been capable out of. So his motivational skills were, were by far the best. Um, Fundamentally, I think I probably knew the game better than he did, but um, so together I think we made a, a pretty good combination. Uh, watching him motivate kids was, <laughs> he was such a, a matter-of-fact person. He never beat around the bush or never made anything look rosier than it was. He was very straightforward and kids respected him and kids played hard for him. So that was, you know, the the kind of the things from the bench that you you aren't coaching baseball you're coaching a kid to to just motivate himself but uh, the baseball skills just watching what other teams do and you know even today when I watch a baseball game with <laughs> your grandparents <laughs> who have watched baseball for 50 years um they don't understand the game parts. You know why? Why? Why, right. why are they doing that? Right. They they don't they don't understand that. And I think that's where, you know, I that part of baseball I, you know, just pride myself on. I, I've watched so many games and, and thought, why is it, you know, why is that coach doing that? Why are they, you know, positioned like that? And the, the analytics today, I never got into, but I mean they. They know every pitch location and where right. every ball goes, that kind of stuff. We never got into that, but um, just the, the little intricacies of the game. And, you know, bunting was a much bigger part of baseball back when I first started coaching. And why do they bunt? Why don't they bunt? Right. They don't bunt anymore, but, um, you know, that was. Right. 
Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. Going, I gotta go back to the Clint Peters thing. I think my, I remember mom telling me a story that, like, you know, kids would have problems with playing time and say, oh, you know, oh, I deserve to play. Was he the guy that would look at him and say, okay, who are you better than? Yeah, he would. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think having that transparency. I mean, it's, I think it's natural for a kid who puts in a lot of work to think. I deserve to play, but if at the end of the day, if you're not the best at something, or if you're not, but if you're a shortstop and there's one shortstop better than you, you aren't going to start, yeah. like you know, probably. Or that's interesting. Yeah, he that that's just the way he was. I and he had some kids, you know, they would shake hands and the the player would quit. Um, and <laughs> that was it, it. Was ironic how it worked, you know. Usually, when players quit, quit they walk away. <laughs> disgusted right he would shake hands with him and <laughs> wish you the best <laughs> yeah it was it was a very unique very unique huh. individual that's cool though but i'm sure like you said you took a lot of the things he did really well and and maybe kind of realized you know some of the shortfalls or some or some of the areas which you know you could improve and and differentiate differentiate yourself that's that's awesome. I liked I liked how you talked about the why, and I think I mean the same is true with basketball. I mean you can you can know what to do um, without really thinking about it. I feel like you know there's the players that don't really think the game that are just pretty like naturally gifted, but or or for a good a good example would just be like an, running an offense. You know, like if you're just running like a like a swing offense, and and somebody like you know if you set a back screen and your guy helps, like you might know that you need to pop up, but you might not know that you need to pop because your guy's probably going to help at the rim and you're going to be wide open at the top. I mean, that that's like kind of my analogy there where it is so interesting how some people think really deeply about why they're doing that and the reasoning and some people don't. And, and you know, some of the good players, doesn't matter what sport, they react just because, and they might not even know why, but exactly. they do things right. Uh, players that have to think what to do are are never as good of players as those who can just react to a situation be instinctively. Right. Yeah, but, but yeah, I know I totally agree. Do you, but I think it still deep down helps to know like why you know why you you should be there. But it is, but it's almost like you can still be really good without knowing that. Well, it's the same thing in practice. If you run a drill. And they have no idea why they're doing it. Right. Um, you know, that's that is so it's important. a useless drill. If if I know why I'm doing it and where I'm gonna use this and mm -hmm. and when I'm gonna do this, then mm -hmm. it gives some relevance to it and it'll probably make him work harder. Right. Yeah, for sure. Some of the players I work with it is funny because I've I've tried to always be open before sessions and being like, Hey, if there's anything that we're going over today that you're like, Why the heck are we doing this or what you know, what's the purpose behind this? Like, please ask because like, it's, it, you should know it's, it's, it, and there are times when I have probably over explained drills at times where it's like, Hey, this is why we're doing it. And, you know, I think sometimes it hits home to some players and sometimes it's like, well, I don't care. Just tell me what to do and I'm going to do it, you know? Right. Right. So, and there's, you know, there's a difference of, even if they're doing the drill, obviously they're going to do it during game time. And if they're if they just want to do it, it's probably not going to be used by them in the future. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, you know, the same is true with, with school, with studying. I, I think about that when, when I was in college, there's a lot of times where it's like, okay, I just got to know enough material that I think is going to be on the test and I'll be fine. Instead of knowing 
how everything fits together in the real world, why we're learning about it, what applications it has. And, and Seth, my roommate was really good at like, he would understand things to where he could just explain it to where he could, we could have a conversation and Hey, this is, you know, we'd be talking about like random biology concepts and he's, you know, equating it to something we learned in chem and I'm sitting there like, Oh, I just, I got the equation memorized where that, 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 it's it's related to exactly what we're talking about, which which is interesting. But well, the, the highest level of learning is application. Right, right. Can you do you understand it? Can yeah. you teach it to others? <laughs> is yeah. kind of the big the big thing. I yeah. can figure it out on a piece of paper, but I have no idea where I'd ever use it. Right, right. But you've all had those classes. <laughs> right, right. No, for sure. And it's it's it is it's it's a good challenge, and, and you you remember things better because when you when you memorize something, it's. It's out of your head the next day. I feel like, for me at least. But, but yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. But, but cool. But no, I want to get into get into your coaching days. I mean, you. I know it was twenty over twenty years. How? Uh, twenty in high school. 20 six in high school. six at the JV level and fourteen at varsity. Nice. How was that transition JV to varsity? Did you go right to head coach? I did. Um, well, we only had a head coach and a, and a JV coach, and anybody else that would have been part of the coaching would have been uh, volunteers. volunteers sure. Yeah. So, um, um, the year before I became head coach, um, Clint won the state tournament, and oh, so he left on a state title. He did not. He waited one more year, and the reason he waited is we had an extra. The year they won the state title. Um, we had an extremely good pitcher that was ineligible and one of the other pitchers that were coming back. Oh, so you guys won state with the best pitcher ineligible. Correct. Wow. And this is you. So you were still at the JV level though. You said, right. Got it. Right. And, uh, so he wanted to come back one more year because, uh, I think he thought he had a, had a little bit of a chance. Got the to, one, two combo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he fell short the next year, but, uh, did he go to state or no, no next, the next year, I can't even remember what happened, but had a good team, but, um, two left-handed pitchers that were one that pitched the state tournament game the year before and another left-hander that was actually better than him. That was the number one that year. Wow. Huh. That's wild. And then you came in shortly after yeah that. and then uh and then the uh shelves were empty and he said i'm out of here <laughs> yeah and i came in um yeah so the first couple of years were rough well rough as a point of wins and losses easy as a point of we had zero expectations sure. because uh i was putting a player or two on the field every game that shouldn't have started on jv wow so yeah, talent wise was a little bit of a drop off. We were empty. We yeah. were empty. Huh. How do you I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Okay, so like how do you go about, you know, handling a less skilled team versus what if you were, you know, what if you had the team the year prior? You know, how do you feel like you would coach differently or you know, how did you approach? Did you just take things slower, you know, make it or how did you kind of like establish your culture with this kind of new not so talented group, I guess. Um, I'm not sure I coached any differently. Um, maybe the expectations for success weren't as high, which makes it a little less stressful, but, uh, I don't think coaching style really changed any. We, I always tried to be an extremely good fundamental team. Um, other than that, 
you know, when, when you know you're facing pitchers that you got five guys in the lineup that can't hit, aren't, aren't going to hit the ball. Gotta you know, manufacture we're, some runs. We're here. the modern day Brewers. Uh, we probably had five guys in the lineup uh, under 220. <laughs> That's funny. You probably bunted a lot, I'm sure, then. But, uh, we, we tried anything. But, but no, I know from playing for you, um, you're always a very defensive focused coach, which I think. I don't know. I, I truthfully didn't have a ton of coaches other than you, but I think that's sometimes overlooked where, you know, coaches are really focused on, you know, how well can you hit or, you know, maybe not as focused on, you know, bunt coverages or situations or backing up plays. But I know that's something that you always, you know, prided our teams in, and I'm sure the Winnicott teams um, prided them in, you know, super hard. What, you know, is that, is that, am I, am I wrong there? Or what, you know, how did you, yeah, I, you know, we had to keep statistics because of uh, all conference and those kinds of things, but I was never a guy that dug through statistics and decided what to do from from those kinds of things. And, and you know, the truth is when you go through statistics, probably baseball is, well, probably basketball too, but you're going to look, the first thing you're going to look at in baseball is their batting average. Probably the first thing you look at in basketball is how many points they score. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you don't look at how many errors have they made or how, right. what's their defensive percentages, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I was I I was always a, a, in the defensive end of the game, you know, nine guys got to work together and nine guys got to do the right thing and nine guys got to react together to make everything work. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's so true. And that, that is cool to, that you read between the lines where I think some coaches are a little little too stat heavy. But I'm sure it was probably a little easier back then just because stats were less posted, less prominent, less tracked. Where now, I mean, I mean, I, I just read uh, Kirk Goldsberry's analytics book on basketball. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they had, I mean, these NBA teams are using every single shot, every single, I mean, and, and it, and it makes sense. And I'm sure the MLB is doing it too, but it's wild how analytics is kind of taking over. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Craig council, the baseball analysis is you look at Craig council and the things that he did with, uh, defensive shifts and uh even the can't shift this year though right yeah they, they can't shift uh, the, they still can but not to a certain extent right or how does that work correct they can't they have they can't play out in the grass they have to have uh both feet on the infield dirt and uh you have to have two guys on the left side of second two sure. guys on the right okay okay i was gonna say because i i know when i went to the brewer game that we we talked about that we talked about the new rules the pitch count the the no uh shifts but i'm like how do you you can shift you know you can move your positioning what's how do they classify that so and then you know there's a the time factor in baseball where they're getting to be long games and so much of it was the the pitch clock has done wonders but a part of it was where you'd bring in a left-handed reliever to face a left-handed batter and then you'd bring Mm -hmm. a right-handed reliever to face a right-handed batter and uh just that time factor i mean you can still do that though now right you can, they have to throw to three batters. Oh wow! Oh, that's yeah. a new rule too, huh? Three batters or the end of an inning. Huh. So Weird. and you know I think part of that was if you remember in a playoff game, Council brought in our um, he brought in a left-handed pitcher to pit, face the leadoff, a left-handed reliever to face the leadoff batter, and took him out of the game. 
Wow. Wait. The, yeah, can't remember his he name. He threw to one batter to start the game. He threw to one batter to start the a playoff wow. game. Wow. Jeez, I didn't know that. I I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I these last like three years I've watched pretty much no baseball. So I, these are all new new to he, me. So it's crazy. Craig Council is the next level manager. Yeah. Yeah. With the analytics, at least. Well, yes, he does so many creative things with the game that had never been done before that they're past rules, so he can't do it. <laughs> Well, he played every position for like five years each, so he probably's got some good background there. That's funny, huh? Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, cool. Well, I do know uh, you did end up being at least somewhat successful. I know you won at least one state championship. Um, you know, when when did you feel like you experienced your first bit of success, or when was kind of the first sigh of relief, like okay, maybe we'll be all right here um, at Winnicott? Everything was uh, was straight uphill. We, you know, got it probably my third or maybe fourth year. We got above five hundred, and after that, I we'd never had a team that that was under five hundred. Um, kid just played better. We had better pitching. Uh, said, you know, we were getting forty or so student athletes out for two teams, which was absolutely awesome. Which I mean, what's the graduating class at Winnicott? Um, right then it was probably about 130 to 150. That's crazy. That's like, it's, it's almost a quarter of the students. So. Well, and that's, well, you got to think male and female. So that's. Yeah. Cut so, that in two. Yeah. 150 per class. Right. 150 per class. So we were. Oh, right. We right were, per class. What am I thinking? Yeah. We were, we were in the mid 500s, I sure. think, somewhere in there. Sure. Um, low 500s. We did drop below 400 for, or drop below 500 for a few years. But gotcha. What was your graduating class at Colby? I forgot to ask that. Um, we were right around 100, a little over 100, I think. It's honestly more than I thought. Well, today, because we, you know, today? you know what it is today, and I think they're around 50 or 60. Oh, but yeah. there's probably more schools around there, though. Uh, same number of schools and. There's no, oh, okay. I thought there was yeah. maybe a couple other smaller towns that got schools that weren't. No, no. Yeah, it's... Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So your last, so you said, you know, about four or five years in, um, you, you know, 500 records. So your last like 10 years, you 500 or better? Yeah, we were, we were never below 500. That's awesome. And what year did you win state? We didn't, I never won state as a head coach in, in 2001, which is kind of ironic. In 2001, we went to state and lost to Beloit Turner, which is the team in 1992 that we beat. Oh, but you, you were an assistant then? I was assistant in 92. 2001, we went to state. Oh, wait, wait, back it up. So you you took over as head coach. Yep. And then you went to an assistant coach. No, no, no. In 92, I was assistant coach when we won state. Got it. So you went from JV to varsity assistant. No, to varsity head. We didn't have an assistant. Oh, so you won you won state as the JV coach you, when you assisted Correct. on varsity. Correct. Got yeah. it. We didn't have an assistant. I guess I called myself an assistant. Oh, so the, the state coach. championship you were talking that Clint won was when you were an assistant. Correct. I see. Then the following... Nine years later, we went to state again. Gotcha. Um, so you lost state as a head coach. Lost state as a head coach. Got it. Uh, that was in 2001. In 2000, we were in the sectional tournament, and uh, we lost in the sectional final. 
we it was a very close game. I remember I had a player named Blair Tritt. He got a bad hop by at third base. I hit him right right above just to the just to the right of his right eye and it oh. uh broke his eye socket. Oh in and the game. In the game, game. Um that kind of took the <laughs> That's tough to bounce back from. Yeah, and I it was a one or two run game. I don't remember what it was. We were playing Seymour at the time. Um so we so, lost that was the game before state, so we lost that year. The next year um we won the sectional final uh, up in Luxembourg, Casco. We went to state and then lost to Beloit Turner. And in the following year, so it would have been 2002, we had a better team than we had in 2001 when we went to state. But we ended up facing a young man named Jason Birkin from De Pere. Isn't he on the Astros or was on the Astros? <laughs> he was, yeah. Yeah, I remember, that. I remember you saying that. Yeah, he pitched for Clemson in college, Jeez. and he, he he could have gone to college as a as a quarterback too. But uh, yeah, you know when you go to the game and you walk in, and there's three radar guns in the stands, <laughs> you know you're in trouble. Yeah, and then uh, D what is Winnipeg? D three, D four, D three. Well, we were Division two in baseball oh, okay. at the time. Yeah, but yeah, there's probably not too many scouts. He, Coming, <laughs> flocking in there correct. to Winnipeg. Correct. Wow, that's crazy. So, so three. So, how many state appearances did you make? Overall? Two. Okay, two state appearances overall. Okay, I was, I was getting. I, I was counting one twice, but so one one championship, one one runner up. Yep. Cool. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. And then, so how? I guess how do you make your decision? Um, you know to to. To coach me, I guess is. Did you have? How did? How did you end? I mean, I remember growing up, going to games. I remember having a great time. I, half the time, I think I'd just be playing baseball in the side field. So I don't know how much I actually watched of the games. Um, I have one vivid, vivid memory being at an indoor practice in Winnicani and just throwing the ball against the wall or something when when you guys were practicing and and having like the high school kids come up to me and be like hey man we could really use a really use a shortstop or really use a, a you know just picking on their buddies more or less and I, I obviously love that but I don't have a ton of memories from from you coaching because I I know once I hit what 10 years old nine years old you you started coaching me yeah I think it, I think it was nine when you were when you were eight you played uh I don't remember if it was coach pitch or machine pitch. I think it was machine pitch at the time when you were eight, and oh, maybe they had regular pitchers. I don't remember. And I, you know, your your season started May first, and from May first to June first, you probably played eight or nine games, and I saw one or two of them. You know, so, I don't know if you missed a whole lot though at that, <laughs> but but no, no, for sure, it's a whole lot of entertainment at that age. True, you're right. You're right. I guess. Probably yeah. didn't fill the void in terms of coaching varsity sports, but it probably probably added a little entertainment value. But that's funny. Were you, did you end did you end coaching Winnicott on a pretty good note? I mean, obviously you didn't go to state, but you know how how was the the team the final year? Do you remember? You know, th- it was the toughest the toughest part of the whole thing to walk away was walking away from the underclassmen. Sure, I, right. I remember. Um, we were very. Uh, I don't remember the exact record or anything, but uh, um, the kids that were the juniors that I left behind was, was a tough group to walk away from. Not because they were so much great baseball players, but they were uh, they were really good people. Nice. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I'm sure it probably feels like you let them down. 
Um, but you got to make the choice that's best on your, your end. And I'm sure they understood that, but, but yeah, I know what you mean where it's like, it's always weird as a player kind of getting a new coach for your last year. Yeah. It, it, part of it was just a time factor. There wasn't enough hours in the day to, right. to watch you and be with you and those kinds of coach things. Coach and teach and yeah. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. But no, um, one of the other things I really wanted to touch on and, and obviously I'm biased being your, your son, but I thought, you know, I know you said you started coaching, you know, when I was nine or eight, you know, with the coach pitch stuff and, and you coached me all the way until I graduated high school, essentially, whether that was, you know, Legion baseball, you never coached me in high school, but, um, you know, coached all of Little League, coached all of, you know, Babe Ruth, Pony League, whatever that was. And, and then the the summers in, in high school, I mean, I, I thought you, you know, there's, and I talked to my friends today, there's, there's not a bad thing said about you and there's not I mean everybody speaks to the highest you know highest regard in in terms of just how you treated everybody parents and players combined opposing teams opposing players all that stuff but also just I think the the level of respect that that everybody had you know for you just because of your knowledge and experience that you know I I don't know if there was ever like a, a day that I realized it but but very early on I I realized if I wanted to be a great player, I better better listen up. And so I, I know I was very invested in 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 your teaching and in your coaching. But but I think you know from from my perspective as a basketball trainer now, I've seen and talked to a ton of parents uh, of players all different ages, a ton of coaches from all different ages, and and I know everybody's experience is different and and, and whatnot. But there just seems to be an overall kind of bitter taste in everybody's mouth, you know, because, you know, they think the coach has, you know, you know, better intentions for their son or or better intentions or different intentions than they have, or, you know, they're upset about playing time or upset about this, that, and the other. I mean, what are, you know, what, what is your take on that? What is, I know, I know we talked about how the game is starting at an earlier age, you know, how do you, I guess, what are, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts, you know, if maybe somebody's looking to get into coaching, how to minimize, you know, parent issues? I, I, I don't know, everything under the sun, you, you just, just speak on a little bit of that, just because I know, I know I just gave you the runaround there, but, but I, I just, I felt like you had such good control over your, your players and, and the parents, and we were always just on one, one page, which, I mean, I talk to a player or parent right now and ask them how AAU is going. And I would say probably 75% of the people are not, not happy. So, I, I mean, how do we mitigate that? How can we get better is, is really my, my question. Well, parent wise, I, I, I never had a lot of difficult things to deal with. I always had a, a pretty good rapport with the parents and, and they did with me and, you know, they treated their, sons as you know great individuals they weren't you know real critical of their playing they just kind of loved to watch them play and and didn't say much and just kind of let me take care of the game you know not 100 percent of the time but a lot of the time that's Mm -hmm. how it worked out um it's it's difficult at at a young age being a parent and coaching your son um fortunately for me it wasn't a matter of if you should be playing or not. You were a, a talented enough player, a baseball player that, you know, 
they knew that you should be at shortstop. And, and it was obvious by the way you played. If I would have had you in a situation where you were the 11th best player on the team right. and I played you all the time, um, you know, I'm sure things would have been different. So it's, it's really hard to, to coach your, your own son, you know, and you saw other teams very critical of coaches who had sons on the team right. and everybody was, Hey, my kid's better than their kid. Right. And, and that gets to be ugly. So I never had to deal with that. Thank goodness. Well, it's just tough. I mean, when, when you're coaching an 11 year old little league team, for example, you're not, nobody's getting paid for that. So there's just not enough people who are interested in coaching that don't have kids on the team, that it can be a full unbiased third person every time. And even, you know, in the, in the league that we were at, what, 12, 15 years ago, um, it was a time consuming thing. Uh, there were fighting for practices, not fighting, but signing up for practices with the diamonds and things with the different teams. And you tried to get all the practices you could in and we even rented gyms and that kind of stuff. So, uh, from January till probably the end of July, it was kind of a, a weekly commitment where you'd start in January with one or two indoor practices. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is interesting. And yeah, I mean, I guess it, I, I wonder if I would have been horrible without a, without it looked like, but I do, I do remember, I don't ever remember being upset with you coaching. I remember a couple bunt signs that I was like, God, I kind of wish I could just shake this off. <laughs> I kind of remember football, actually football. I, we should mention that you coached basketball fourth through eighth grade, um, youth basketball, and also football probably right around the same well, actually, basketball was before fourth grade. What am I saying? You you know, second or third through eighth grade. And then football, probably, I think I started in third. So third through eighth grade, same thing. But I remember you calling plays for Pop Warner and any third down that I didn't get the ball, I was a little upset. But, yeah, that is, it is interesting. But but I think, yeah, I, I think it it's a testament to the players and the, the you know, parents we had on, on all the teams really. And I know it was kind of a, kind of a, a similar group growing up. It wasn't the same team every year for sure, but, um, we were very fortunate and Hey, gotta, gotta, gotta shout out the, the two state championships you won with us too. I guess you, you only got one when you're in high school, but, uh, we got an 11 year old, uh, state championship little league. Um, unfortunately couldn't proceed after that cause we weren't 12, would have loved to um, go to regionals and, and Little League World Series our 12-year-old year, but uh, unfortunately that fell a little short as well, so we didn't get it our 12-year-old year. But then, yeah, Legion State Tournament, we were 17, right? 16, 17. Yeah, the Junior Legion. Yeah, yeah, that was that was awesome. But but no, I mean, I, like I said, testament to, to everything that... Uh, you know that just just who you are a testament to who you are i mean it's it's no different than who you are every day but but i just think you you coached us so well in terms of um not only how to act on the field but but off of it as well and on the court and everything like that so i can't thank you enough there the the last thing i want to touch on and it's partially because i'm i'm getting into some mental training type stuff um with the athletes i'm working with and continuing to learn myself but i remember being a player who was who was a hothead. I mean, I remember, I mean, younger ages more so than than older ages for sure. But I, you know, probably that 
third through sixth grade, I would say, in every sport, um, I just, you know, after a mistake, after a, after a personal mistake, I feel like was when it always hit the hardest when, when everybody watching knew it was, was my fault or, or something like that. And I can think of specific uh, other individuals on our teams as well, who, who struggled with the same thing. But I mean, I just remember for baseball, for instance, you know, I'd make an error, I'd be, I'd be mad or I, I pitched back then too. So I'd maybe I, I remember giving up a grand slam in grand shoot. I don't know. I was probably 11 or 12 but just getting in the car and I'm so mad and I'm so mad but you always were so hard on me only in terms of like my attitude you know you were never 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 upset about um you know how I played performance wise I could have went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts looking I could have went 4 for 4 with four home runs and you treated me the exact same when I got in the car and I I really 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 appreciate that um and appreciated that but I don't think I fully realized how special and unique that was and that is um now so like I guess how did you was that just I mean you you've always been in my eyes somebody who's so calm cool and collected how did you train that yourself you know were you intentionally hard on us um you know, in terms of our mindset like that, or talk to me a little bit about how you, you have perspective on that. Um, you know, in, t- in terms of the player themselves, the, the hardest player to coach, or I shouldn't say the hardest player to coach, but the, the player that I like to coach the least was always that player that took the bat at bat out on the field with them, that, you know, after that at bat, they're moping out on the field, and and that just drove me crazy. Uh, same thing in basketball. If you um, miss a shot and then go to the other end and don't play defense because you're kicking the court, and mm-hmm. that that stuff just drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. And so I was always kind of a play the middle road. Uh, uh, I can coach you harder when you're winning than I'm gonna yell at you less if you're losing. You know those kinds of things. So I always tried to tried to play the even keel where there's never the highs weren't super high and the lows I tried to never get too low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I and I feel like the only times you did get upset were when it was things in our control. It was our attitude. It was a lack of effort. I remember you uh, getting upset. I think it was at Cullen where he, you know he jacks a fly ball and is walking to first base because he either thinks it's a home run or it's going to be caught you know things like that I remember people throwing helmets in the dugout after a strikeout and and I mean not just you some of our assistant coaches were very good about hey like we're not we're not doing that here and and that I feel like that would be kind of the only time where you would bench somebody you know where you you yeah I'm I I think I you probably sat me down a couple times because of it um and that's interesting because I think most players are so nervous that they make two errors, they're going to be pulled. Where that was never, as a player, I know I, I had the ultimate confidence because I kind of knew no matter what I do, I'm, I'm going to be fine. It's it's more so how I control myself out there. I, I never penalize physical mistakes. They always happen. You're going to have errors. You're going to miss shots. You're going to you know, do things that, that physically, you know, just you didn't succeed at but the mental part of it you can always succeed mentally because you just have to train your mind to do it Mm -hmm. 
did you ever struggle with that as a player? Like, did you, do you remember consciously thinking about that? Oh, I hated to lose uh, when I was Everybody younger. does, right? Um, I don't know at what age that lasted to fairly old in my life. I, I think that's probably when I got out of coaching, you know, then I, all of a sudden I didn't really care about winning and losing anymore. I was happy to do either. But before that time, uh, boy, I hated to lose. Yeah. Yeah, I think everybody dislikes losing more than they enjoy winning. That's a <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. It's that's a weird, probably true. I feel like I've played in games where I'm just so hyper focused. Not, not it's not I guess it's not like consciously thinking of like, oh, I don't want to lose. It's just like that that deep down feeling of you don't want to the to feel the the remorse of defeat. And then you win and it's like it's not that you know big of you don't feel the exuberance that you kind of thought you'd feel. It's just like, oh, we didn't lose. All right, we're you know you know we're good. But but no, that's that's awesome stuff and 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 great stuff to, for me to think about. And 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 I totally agree. I, I had a player in not long ago that he missed his first two layups in our workout, and he just you could tell he was so upset, was so blew, blew about himself. And I just I stopped. I like I just stopped him, and I, and I felt like you in that moment because it was just like, look, man, like. It was like an 8 a.m. workout. I'm like, I don't want to be here if you're going to act like that. Like, I really didn't. And I, I told him straight up, like, look, let's have some fun. Like, I want you to make mistakes here. That's how we're going to get better. If if you if you expect to make everything today and you're going to get mad if you miss once, like, let's let's stop right now because there's, you know, that's that's not the way it's going to be. And, and unfortunately, I mean, he's a great player, so it's, it's you know, he probably was missing shots that he's used to making, but... Um, it just reminded me of that. So, but no, I know you got to get going. We just did 58 minutes. You believe that? I do not. I, uh, I changed the, I just put the time on here to, to check it in 58 minutes. That absolutely flew by. And, and I feel bad because you guys are probably late to, to go meet up with your friends, but, uh, let's cut it there. Thank you for tuning in. If you, uh, stuck this far along, I promise I will get better as I go. Going to have some different people on and just have some fun with this. So thank you for tuning in. Dad, thank you for all you do. Love you very much. And, and I know I'm speaking on behalf of myself and all the, the parents and coaches that, uh, or excuse me, parents and players that, that you coached. Uh, we, uh, we still to this day use, um, you know, so much of what we learned from, from you just, uh, just based on your philosophies and, and who you are. So thank you so much. Awesome, Trent. Thank you. Thank cool, you cool. for being you. Hey, glad we got this set up. All right. Peace.